Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. What a great video. <laughs> I was told, uh, start teaching after the video. So that video, just uh, we were a short Star Wars moment of flying through space. And here we are. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm so grateful to be with you guys today. Uh, I'm a pastor in Portland. So my wife and I are working to do a very similar thing in the inner city of Portland, uh, start a church in that area. The name of our church is called Movement. And so uh, just grateful to get to come and kick off Advent series uh, with you guys today. And I've been given the task of speaking about this word called peace, um, which uh, has, as I've studied and as I've taken some extra time the last few weeks to really look in at the concept of peace, which is the first, the first word we're celebrating in Advent, um, it's really done a number on me. Uh, just, to, just to kick off and be honest, the last couple years of my life have felt quite unpeaceful uh, a lot of times. And uh, at the same time, I've seen God just sustain and uh, speak in very unique ways and uh, I find myself more peaceful than ever and more anxious than ever. Peace is a word that I just struggle with and I wrestle with, and so I'm just honored to, to get to share. And I just want to start by saying that uh, I'm in the journey of figuring out what does this peace thing look like, like everybody else. Um, but to get going, I wanted to start by just giving what's a cultural definition uh, of peace. And if you look in, if you just Google peace, what you'll find, the definition is uh, the absence of conflict. It's the absence of war. And by that definition, or, or the absence of disturbance, and by that definition, my wife will never have peace because she ha- we have two kids. Um, and so I find, I find Google, uh, the dictionary, to not really give us a good word for peace. The absence of conflict, I mean, everyone in this room, we have conflict. There's, there's conflict all around us, just look. Like, I think we walk through conflict every day, whether it's financial or uh, it has to do with your kids, or there's relational conflict, um, you know, political things going on. We just live in a world filled with conflict. So if peace is defined by the absence of war, the absence of disturbance, we're, we're in a very unpeaceful time, a not-so-peaceful time. And so what, 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 what I, when, I, when I try to be peaceful and work towards peaceful, and it just being that definition of absence of, um, I fail at it. Like, I'm just, wow, I'm not very peaceful. Like, I wake up every day, and there's something that I feel like I'm working towards. There's some sort of conflict uh, that I'm fighting up against. In fact, like, if you look at sports, like, sports would not exist without conflict, tension, disturbance, these things that, to win a game, like, you got to get into the heat of battle. Um, and so, like, conflict just exists. So that definition fails us, I think, in general. Uh, but what's beautiful is the Bible takes the definition of peace, it takes it just a step further. And it's not just the absence of something, it's the presence of something. So peace biblically in, in, engages this concept as there's this other aspect, there's this presence that's involved that brings uh, about peace. Um, Here's something else that's fascinating. We live in one of the most technologically advanced 
uh, areas of the world. Here in Seattle, I'm from Portland. Uh, we, humanity has accomplished just incredible things from if you go all the way back to the pyramids to if you reached into your pocket right now and pulled out your phone, we, we are just incredible beings that can develop and design and craft and create and explore and figure all this stuff out. You would think that through all the technological advancements we have that we would have this thing called peace. But humanity has yet to be able to craft peace. We can, we can build cars and Tesla trucks and with shatterproof windows, uh, not... <laughs> You know, we can do all of this cool stuff, but none of us have been able to manufacture peace. And if you look into society, the people who are the wealthiest and the richest, even, even they struggle with this thing called peace. And like I said, the Bible gives us a different picture of peace. And one of the things I love about the biblical perspective of peace is how, uh, how diverse the word peace is used. So the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and that's just the noun version. There's, it, then there's shalem and shalom, adjective and verb version, but the root is the verb, which is shalem. And what's interesting about that word, if you take peace and you turn it into a verb, it suddenly becomes action-oriented. It's no longer just, I have peace, or peace is something that's just a noun, something that you can get. It's something you have to work for. Peace is an action. So just some references. In, in the book of Joshua, uh, the word peace is translated uncut. Uh, after, after they win this battle, God's army wins this battle, afterwards they build this altar. And it says they build the altar with uncut stones. And that word uncut is shalom. This is the exact same word that's translated peace in other places. Essentially, it means that it's, a, it's just a complete whole stone. There's, there, it, it, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's, com- it's complete. <laughs> There's nothing added to it. They didn't do anything to the stone to, to make it better. It, it's just there. It's uncut. They didn't manufacture or add anything to it. Later in Job, um, it talks about a covenant of peace. It says shalom between the land and the person. So you can have peace between uh, the, the crops you're trying to grow, the cattle you're raising, and also the wild animals. A covenant, which is a relationship word, that peace is relational. Um, Solomon, when he restores God's temple in uh, 1 Kings, it says, uh, when it says um, that he restores the temple, he completes it. It's the same word, shalom. Um, making a payment for a stolen animal in the book of Exodus, uh, sh- Shalom is translated payment, right? So if you stole someone's animal, you make peace with them, you make payment, you restore, right? And so what's interesting about biblical shalom is you can translate it a bunch of different ways. Uncut, perfect, whole, complete, payment, restitution, restore. There's this, there's this all these different words that kind of help us zero in on this concept of peace. And peace is something that is worked for. It doesn't just happen. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of an effort. And when you get to Isaiah, um, there's this famous passage. We use it a lot uh, during Christmas time. It says this. Isaiah's prophesying about a future messianic king. He says this. For, us t- for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and prince of peace. That the future messianic king that will come and restore humanity, restore humanity's relationship with God, the covenant relationship, 
He will be a prince of peace. He will be whole and complete. When Jesus comes onto the scene in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I came to give you peace. Jesus claims that that's what he came to do, to give away peace, to bring it. And if you know the story of Jesus, he does it in the most unexpected way. Uh, Later, the early church leaders, uh, they talked about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. They believed he was. They said that Jesus restores that relationship between God and people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Jesus is, um, he is our peace. Peace, shalom, is used over 236 times in the Bible. And then the Greek word in the New Testament that's used for peace is arene, and it's used 92 times. It's just all over, all over Scripture. And uh, peace doesn't just happen. It, just, it doesn't just happen. Peace is worked for. This past week, uh, I was commuting to our creative space downtown. It's about a 15-minute bicycle ride for me. And as I was going over the Hawthorne Bridge, or just about to, the uh, light went from red to green, but I had, I had to come to a stop before I could take off. But to get up on the bridge, there's this hill, which is always a bummer. I always like to hit that light when it turns green so I can just pedal on through and get on up the hill. But if you have to come to a stop, what, what's awful about that is you come to a stop, but there's, a, there's 15, 20, 30 bikers behind you that are in the lane who didn't have to. So when the light turns green, you have to just haul it to, I mean, I'm just, I don't even shift down. Like I keep it in a high gear and I just try and go as hard as I can. I'm standing up, up on my bike to get up this hill because people just start blowing past you uh, at cat six speed, which is bicycle term. Uh, cat five is a racing term. Cat six doesn't exist, but they're just flying past you. And uh, they're going past me and um, I'm, I'm like hauling. I'm like trying to get up this hill. And all of a sudden, my bike lock, I hear it kind of get loose because I have it bungeed to the side of my bike. And I hear it start to shake and kind of break loose. And I keep pedaling, and I can hear it kind of clacking against the metal. And then all of a sudden, I hear it hit the ground. And it falls and falls. And then this biker goes by me, and he's like, hey, you dropped your bike lock. And I'm like, I I hear it. I know. So I'm thinking I need to slow down at this point. Mind you, I'm on this hill. And then the, the problem, I get into a big problem because the bungee cord that was holding my <laughs> lockup, it came loose. And so as I was like pedaling really hard, the metal claps went down around the spoke, ripped into the wheel, and then this, my, this like thick rubber bungee cord just got mangled up deep into the bike tire. And then I can hear like clunk, crunch, like I can hear things like snapping, my, my, the chain falls off, and it's like this really, really terrible situation that I find myself in all the moment. People are flying by me. And so I hop off the bike, and I pull it off on, onto the side. Cars are flying by, and I just look down, and it's Monday morning. I'm trying to get to work, and I have no peace at this moment. Are you with me? It's just not here. If peace is the absence of disturbance, conflict, whatever, that's not my moment right now. This is a very unpeaceful moment for me. And so I look down at it, and I'm like, I've got to fix this right here, but I have no tools on me. And I can see that the bungee cord has just like wedged itself into like the gear shift, between the spokes and the gear shift. And so I put my finger in there, and I tried to pull it out, and I couldn't get it to budge. It wouldn't move at all. Like, didn't matter how hard I pushed. It's cold out. My hands are cold. I had no leverage whatsoever to get it out. What's interesting is the bungee cord snapped, and so I grabbed the other piece, and it has a metal S-hook on it. This is where the story gets really 
foolish on my part, by the way, just giving you a heads up. But this S-hook, I was like, this is the only piece of metal I have. This is the only tool I have to restore peace to my situation in my morning commute. So I put that little S-hook around the metal S-hook, the other one that's like wrapped around the tire. And at this point, that one's no longer an S-hook. It looks more like an L. It's like been ripped around. And so I like put the hook down around it, and I was like, okay, I kind of got some leverage, and I was going to pull it out. So I put the hook around it. I've got the other end of the bungee cord, and I'm pulling. Are you with me? Are you following this story? I'm pulling as hard as I can to dislodge this problem. And as I'm pulling on a bungee cord, there's tension, lots of tension. And I'm pulling as hard as I can, and all of a sudden, the bungee, like my bungee slipped off. The metal S-hook flew up. Like, it didn't even fly. It just like teleported to my eye socket. It just went bam, like smacked me in the eye. Literally, I fell back on the sidewalk. I'm laying there. <laughs> the most excruciating pain. I do not know how, why I don't have a black eye or why, I'm a, or why I have an eyeball still. Like, it drilled my face. Like, my eye went black. I fell back, and I just laid on the uh, sidewalk like this. My bike's laying in the road, just not functioning. And I'm standing on the side just like, or sorry, laying on the side, backpacks on, arms out like this. I'm just like in pain going, this is a very not peaceful situation in this moment of my life. And, and I tell that story because honestly, that, that, that's, it's, it, it's a good illustration of kind of how life can be. One thing goes wrong and it has a systemic effect on a lot of other things in our life. And what is one moment just an easy commute to the office, and the next moment you're stranded on a bridge, no tools, nothing to help you, and you're injuring yourself trying to fix this thing. After I healed and after I caught my breath <laughs> and I, my pride was restored a little bit, uh, I spent like 15 minutes trying to dislodge this thing, looking at the tire, trying to figure out how I could get leverage, and finally I broke it all free and was able to get it all back and working. But it was... It, it totally threw off my whole morning. It totally threw off everything that I was trying to do. I put the chain back on it, uh, and I was able to get going again. The thing about peace is it doesn't just happen to us. It doesn't, it doesn't just come out of thin air. You can't just wish for peace. I mean, we can pray and pray and pray that God would bring peace into our situation, um, and that's good, and we should do that. But if we're not willing to get some skin in the game, if we're not willing to work towards figuring out how to make it whole, how to restore it, we can't have the kind of biblical peace that the Bible talks about. See, culture gives us a really poor definition of peace. Cultural definition of peace was, Sam, you just need to stand on the side of the road and wish and hope that peace would just come, right? Just wish away the obstacle. Wish away this disturbance. Because if peace is simply the absence of conflict, you don't get this right now. And here's the problem. I think, a lot of, I think a lot of the times the reason we struggle to find peace, it's because <clears throat> we expect it to just happen and, and, and it should just come to us. But if you on the inside, in the depths of who you are, if your soul, if who you are is not peaceful, you're not going to find peace from within you. Are you with me? What I'm getting at is if there's 
depression in your life, if there's something you're frustrated with, if there's something wrong going on in your story, right, and you go to that thing that's wrong and you try and find peace just within you, you're not going to be able to find it because what's in you is depressed. What's in you is hurting. What's in you is broken. You need help from the outside. You need a presence, something else to come to restore peace. I have a, I have a good analogy that, uh, that's really been helpful to me in this life, but if you were to hold up your hand, and you can do this if you want. If you don't, you don't have to, or you can just look at your hand. But if you acted as if the, you know, the palm of your hand, like this part of your hand here, was kind of your soul, or it was the thing that makes you you. It's your center, it's your core. You have these five other pieces that make you, you. You have physicality. You're a physical person. You're flesh and bone and blood and heart and organs. And that plays a big part into who you are. It determines how sexy you are, determines you know, how ugly you are, determines everything about whether you like what you see, whether you're fit, whether you're not. There's something physical about you. It has a big effect on your soul. When I get a common cold, it wrecks my day. <laughs> it just does. I, when, it, when, I, when my throat is sore, it throws everything off for me. My physicality affects me. Take it a step further if there's something more seriously wrong. My wife has battled a lot of health issues, um, a lot of gut issues uh, that have had extreme effects in other areas of her life. But when, phys phys when your physical health isn't good, it affects how you feel about yourself. It affects your life experience. So that's one piece of us. Another piece of us, we're mental. We have a brain. We have a thought life, right? We're physical. We're mental. We have an emotional side. We feel, man, that, that in, that just, man, going through a breakup, the pain of that, or the job promotion, the celebration of that. Emotionally, we have an experience, physical, mental, emotional. There's a social aspect to us. I'm not just an individual who interacts with myself. I'm also a human being that engages all kinds of people around me. Coworkers, spouse, kids, right? People on the street, whoever it is, there's something social about us. What's the last one? Physical, mental, emotional, social, and the last one's spiritual. Then there's this aspect of us that's kind of hard to grab at times. This longing for more, this reaching out, this, this, this connection with a divine, this longing to be connected to something divine. All five of those different things make us us. All five of those different things make you, you. And when one of them is off, it affects all of them. If you, if you have a disease, it's going to affect everything else, right? If you're emotionally immature and you're hurting and, you, and you're not getting help from the outside, it's going to affect everything else. I have a, a good friend right now who's just going through a terrible breakup in a, in a relationship um, that he had high hopes for. He was hopeful to marry this girl. This is, this was, it was the girl he loved, the gr girl of his dreams. And what's that relational piece, that now that that's broken, it's affecting everything else. It's affecting his eating habits. It's affecting his desire to be around people. He doesn't want to be around people right now. Spiritually, he's angry with God. He's frustrated. We are not just simple beings. We are very complex. And if one of those things is off, it messes with our peace. But if emotionally 
pained people try and get emotionally healthy by simply going to their emotional pain, you're not going to get healthy. I've got a buddy who um, currently is, I'm so pumped for him, he's three months clean. Uh, When I met him three months ago, he was using drugs. Um, He had crystal meth on him when I met him. And uh, he, he knew I was a pastor and we were just connecting and he was trying to get into a recovery program. And when we were sitting on this park bench early one morning before he was going to take his test, it was, he was telling me that it was his last-ditch effort to get into this recovery program. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I just had this sense. I said, Delmar, if you don't get into the program today, what's plan B for you? I mean, he had been using drugs and dealing drugs for a long time, and uh, he was kind of on the ropes. And he just spent two months uh, on the streets in Portland and this was his last-ditch effort. And I said, what's plan B if you aren't clean today? And he said, I spent three days clean trying to get ready for my test. And he said, Sam, I've got $50 of crystal meth on me. I'm going to use all of it. And I didn't need the Spirit of God to tell me in that moment that that wasn't the healthiest decision to make. I just kind of knew that probably wasn't his next best step. Um, but I had the sense just ask, is there any fight within you, any desire within Delmar? to try and get clean. And so I looked at him and I asked, I said, dude, is there any fight in you to not use uh, those drugs? And um, he just looked, it looked like the most depressing question I could have asked him. Because for Delmar, that's, he was a drug, he's a drug addict. And where does he go to cope with himself? And where does he go to find peace? Drugs. That's where he goes. And so me asking would you be willing to give up your therapist? Would you be willing to give up the thing that you're clinging to? Was like asking the toughest question you could have ever asked the guy. And it, when I asked him, you could see it. It's just like, it just depressed him. It was, it was the worst thought ever. And he's literally has the drugs on him, and he, his plan is to use them if this test doesn't go well. Um, and what, came, what I was so proud, thankful for in the moment is he looked at me and he said, yeah, there's enough fight in me. I, I really do want to get clean. And I said, all right, dude, I'm clearing my schedule today. I'm with you. I'm going to go when you take this test. I'm going to be here with you today. Let's, let's get clean. Like, let's take this a good step forward. And in that moment, the back of my mind, I'm like, Jesus, please help Delmar. Like, here's this guy. He's fighting. He wants to get clean. And when I said I'm going to show up in your life today, he leaned uh, forward on the park bench, reached in his back pocket, pulled out his wallet, and he pulled out a bag of meth. And he handed it over to me, and he said, take it. Take it. I'm done. To which, this was my first drug deal ever, just so you know. <laughs> Hadn't been in this situation before. I'd only seen it in, the, in TV shows and stuff. So he's handing it to me. I'm literally thinking we're on a park bench uh, in a rougher neighborhood. Like, he's got to be working with the police, all, all the other homeless that were sitting around us. Like, these are all undercover agents. Someone's watching me from a distance. As soon as I take this, they've got the pastor in Portland. Put me in handcuffs. Take me away. You got rid of me. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, it was all real. But he handed it to me. I took it. I put it in my bag. And uh, I thought to myself in that moment, dude, Delmar just handed me plan B. If Delmar's trying to get healthy, He's going to have to find his peace from something outside of himself, right? Outside of Delmar's plan. 
We went down, long story short for Delmar, he uh, took the test and he passed. And like I said, he's three months clean right now. He's still in the middle of the battle. He's not out of it. Because Delmar's peace is going to take work. Delmar is in conflict every day. It's not like God just took it away the moment he went and took a test and got into a two-month program and graduated that program and moved into the next. He's in a battle every single day for peace. We are all in a battle every single day for peace. I was in a battle for peace the moment my bike had a ton of issues <laughs> on the side of the road. But to, get, to restore my peace in that moment, to bring restoration, to bring wholeness to the situation, I had to work for it. I could have laid on the side of the street and just wished that God would come and save me. Or some Uber driver would be willing to stop with, and help me out or something. But instead I had to work for it. And Delmar has to work with it, work for it. So my question for everyone this morning is, what steps, <clears throat> what steps do you need to take to restore peace in your life? If you were to think through the five different aspects of who you are, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, how are those five doing? How are you doing physically? What are you eating? It matters. I mean, if you look through Hebrew scriptures, there's a reason that Daniel was so serious about his diet when he found himself in Babylon and people are trying to get him to eat things that were outside of his law. It wasn't just law for him. It was relationship with God. It was health. Daniel cared about his physicality, right? What are you eating? What are you consuming? What are you putting in your body? Is it producing the results that you would want? Emotionally, where are you? Mentally, socially, who are we spending time with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? What kind of neglect and abandonment is in your life? Like my wife, um, for example, like, has a really tough background with her, with her parents. And she had to fill a lot of those um, gaps in her relational story with other things. And a lot of times she didn't cope well, or she, she coped using things that weren't the healthiest for her. <clears throat> but if you thought of those five different areas... How are you doing? Do you have peace in them? And to get it to change, to fix it, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to restore peace in your life? Um, I do have one scripture I think that you were potentially going to throw up, but it comes from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, the focus scripture is going to be 19 through 20, um, but I'm going to read a little bit of scripture that's around that. Paul is writing this here, and he says this. He's speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about the prophet Isaiah when he said the Prince of Peace will come. He's speaking about Jesus. This is what he says. The Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have his, all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile, right, restore to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, 
by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the gospel right here. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you. He's restored you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become of a servant. Jesus brings peace, but he brings it in a very unexpected way. If you go back to the story of Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem, right? His followers, his disciples, the crowds, the people were expecting the messianic king that Isaiah prophesied about, right? A prince of peace, this person of power. They were expecting him to come and be a ruler, be a, a kingly ruler in the, in the way they thought of kingly rulers, by using power. They were expecting Jesus to go into Jerusalem, rip off his rabbinic clothing, and put on a kingly crown, and pick up a sword, and go and fight. In fact, on the way uh, towards Jerusalem and Passover, the disciples are asking, who gets to be sit at your left and your right? Who gets to be second and third in command when you take over Jesus? And they're expecting him to rip off his rabbinic clothing, but instead, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets down in, in the dirt, and he goes around his disciples' feet, and he washes them. He spent all of his time flipping the script of what people expected him to do. He did not bring peace through power, technological advancement, money. He brought peace through a heart shift, a disposition change by being a presence in people's life to restore them and to take care of their deeper need, their deeper brokenness. That's what Jesus came to do, to restore all people, restore who they are as individuals, but more importantly, restore humanity to God. And it is when we start to offer up all five aspects of our life, physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, we offer all that we are, our whole self, to God. God begins to help us have peace in every aspect. That's what I got today. Um, just to end with the, the question I asked a minute, a minute ago. What steps do you need to take to restore peace in your life? I'll pray. And uh, it looks like we're going to sing. <laughs> Jesus, I just want to thank you for your presence. Thank you for this church. God, I want to thank you for the biblical definition of peace. My, my life the last uh, couple years has felt very crazy. It's felt conflict-filled uh, at times. And a lot of times I just feel like that conflict um, means that you don't exist. A lot of times the conflict in my life, the turmoil, the depression I felt, the angst I felt, the frustration uh, makes me feel like if you're out there, you're evil and you're against me. And there's no way you could be a God of peace. But Lord, the biblical definition the scriptural definition of peace just has really helped me in the last couple of weeks rewire that thinking. Conflict exists. This world is broken. I am broken, Father. But your presence, your good, loving presence, your power that is, that is imaged in a rabbi washing feet. And God, my effort is what brings peace. And Lord, I just pray that over United Church this morning. I pray this 
concept of peace to work for peace to just wash over us this morning as we sit and contemplate reflect and sing God and more so than that God I pray that we would see um, our role as a church is our role is to bring peace to Queen Anne uh, not just pray that there be no conflict Father but actually offer solutions Father to get engaged with this community and to be peace bringers we're so thankful for your coming we're thankful that you were a prince of peace and that you flipped the script and did it in unexpected ways please help us restore our lives and God help us point other people who are desperate and looking for answers to you so that they can gain some traction and restore their lives as well pray this in your name and everybody said thanks guys Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.